Nick, the Eagles fan, didn't even show up to work today. <laughs> He's ducking you. That's got to be it. Yeah. Show starts at the same time every day. <laughs> Nine. Not here. Only one explanation. It's not traffic. Actually, it could be traffic because yeah. that's how the city is. It's like snow. <laughs> Everything grinds to yeah. a halt. Again? <laughs> In December? You saw this coming. Yeah. I will say it's almost, it's like, that is the phases of weather in this city is it just starts to get that gloom for a long time. Oh, yeah. And it's dark for a long time. I mean, like all weekend, I don't think I saw the sun at all. It was just but like that cold like, rain. You're like, oh, God. I know, but that's it. And then, but then when you get the snow, it's like, and now this? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you add another layer to this? I, now I got to make sure I don't slip and fall on some weird ice patch? Rude. Okay, so before I get into the glory that is the Seattle Seahawks later in the show today, later in the show, the glory that is Drew Locke, the hope that has arisen, <laughs> the new hope, Drew Locke, six foot seven, cannon for an arm, handsome, down to earth, knows Jeezy gives lyrics. a great interview, yeah. just saying, there's a lot to like, there's a lot to like about Drew Locke. Before I get into that, the fact that the Seahawks haven't lost to the Philadelphia Eagles since 2008. Like Seahawks, the Rams own them now. The Cowboys own them now. The Niners own them now. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's not great. It's not great. A lot of the rivals never had a rivalry with the Packers because, again, just beat them. Like I don't remember ever losing to the Packers really. What about the Hasselback overtime game? That's what I mean is that you got to go that far back. It's an don't iconic one. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Shut your face up. Do you know what's the worst? Is I remember where I was when he said that and how in the moment, I think because I, I think I was like 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. And in the moment I went, oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> no, yeah. I knew we were dead. I that was, was a moment where a pessimist, buddy, like your pessimist sports fandom immediately comes out. You're just like, I, oh, God. I don't know why or where it came from, <laughs> but I've always been a superstitious sports fan. Yeah. Growing up, like I've had to really kick it. I've had to have moments in my life where... I have to really talk myself into being like, hey, you don't matter. You're not impacting you're this. You're nothing. You're, you're like talking yourself in the mirror. Yeah. You you're are not, you're not. You're not even a speck of dust in the universe. You're irrelevant here. I believe in energies. Yeah. I do. I believe in collective energy and the yeah. way that it impacts stuff. Like if you're in a stadium, for example, like 2015 with the Blue Jays when they won, I think that so much of that is just the energy of the crowd, the sure. energy of the moment, and it's just all, it's all culminating to something great. But... Like, yeah, I've had some pretty crazy ones. Like, I once got in a fist fight with my brother because he came downstairs during a Leafs game where he he, he came down the stairs <laughs> and both times the Red Wings scored. And uh, I was like, well, now we got to scrap. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm defending the team's honor. Yeah. So it's crazy stuff, right? So, but I like the fact that the Seahawks haven't lost the Eagles since 2008. It's a really nice... Good one. I, it's, it's, all I, it's one of the few things I have left is that the Eagles... And Philly and the Frank Cervelli, uh, those guys, you know, the Philly guys. The Philly guys, yes. I know a couple. Yeah, that they just have nothing, just a, a, a complete desert when it comes to play f- facing the Seattle Seahawks. They don't know what it's like. There's, there's kids. There's like a whole generation now that has no idea what it's like for the birds to beat the birds, you know? Yeah. So I hate that they call themselves the birds and we call ourselves the hawks. I, like, I prefer... Like, it's cooler to say go birds than go hawks. It is. I was about to say go birds is cool. Go birds is cool and go hawks is kind of like, well, yeah. Russell Wilson ruined it. 
Let's be honest. Yes, it probably was cool, and then things. Russell Wilson did it. <laughs> and everyone, uh, and then everyone went, nah, because he and he did it so many times. Every year, go Hawks, go Hawks, go yeah. Hawks, go Hawks. It was the it was Bronco Country. Let's ride. Right? I know. I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, all right. I got other trauma later in the show. Okay, so just a reminder, quick reminder, because before that Seahawks game, I tuned in to watch. The four Charlotte Hornets, or sorry, the one Charlotte Hornets starter play against the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> yeah. I watched Scary Terry. Like, hey, congrats, Toronto Raptors. Hey, you beat the Charlotte Hornets with none of their players, and the game turned on Scary Terry getting into foul trouble. Like, awesome. Really great stuff. And people are, hey, guess what? Going to a game, it's awesome to be rooting and cheering, but it's just, it's this lunacy at this point with some of this stuff. I just want to remind everybody that the Raptors were supposed to be good this year, that their front office doubled down on the idea that this was a good team to have around Scotty Barnes by sending out a draft pick and bringing his center that is arguably the toughest fit on the entire team. And they gave him $20 million. They said, hey, would you like a first-round pick for this guy that doesn't fit on our team? Yeah? Okay, cool. How does also an extra $20 million on top of that a year sound complicating the future of what we could possibly do with some of the other more valuable players? Just phenomenal stuff. So anyway, they're scrapping and clawing their way to beat the Charlotte Hornets with no one on their team last night. Border Services did what they should do to Shohei Otani when he shows up here where they're like, hey, you're a criminal. You can't come in here. <laughs> no way. No way, buddy. No freaking way. You had your chance to be on a plane here. And instead you put the Dragon's Den guy on it. Now you're never coming up. Sorry, everybody. No Shohei in Toronto ever. And in fact, all the Dodgers, everybody that's complicit in that, Dave Roberts, their general manager, all of them, not allowed into the country. Anyways, I'm watching the Raptors scrap and claw to beat the Charlotte Hornets. And it's just, it's pain. It's pain. It's painful. And all I can think is, this is my job. I do this for a living. You have to watch this. You have to watch these games. You have to watch the Toronto Raptors. It's, it's not up to you. This is no enjoyment. Because if this was about enjoyment, I would have picked one of the other games on the slate. I would have picked the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> like I, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm just, you know, <laughs> just saying that Luca and, and Jokic played last night. Mm-hmm. Jokic dominated, by the way. Um, I got I had I had more productive ways to spend my time, more joy, enjoyable ways to spend my time. And it's just this Raptors team is such a drag to watch. And I, I tweeted it yesterday, and some people were like, "Nah, man, the Florida season was worse." Or "Nah, man, yes, last season was worse because Scotty Barnes wasn't Scotty Barnes." But my case for it is simply this. This is the least watchable Raptors team I can remember in a decade. And at least last year, you had some narratives around the team that were kind of exciting about, hey, what's going to happen? You actually had this weird promise about a huge trade package for potentially OG Ananobi or what the future held for Siakam, potentially re-signing him. What was going to happen with Fred Van Vliet? What was going to happen with the coach? There was at least like storylines, right? It was, hey, this is a team that's clearly in flux. How are they going to decide to build around this player? They own their own first round pick. They were going into a deadline where you thought all season long they were going to be a key player. It didn't end up happening. It was a drag. It was a tough watch last year, no doubt about it. But they did make the play-in game. They were kind of scrappy. There were moments during the season where you went, huh, you know what? Maybe these guys are better than you think. Maybe they are a center away. You could see why Messiah ended up getting a little fooled. The Tampa season, I don't even count. I'm sorry. I didn't view that as a slog. I can root for a tanking team. I don't know about, I think I, I speak for most of us in saying if a team has a clear direction and you're not layering year over year on this, that it's kind of nice to root for your team to suck. 
as long as you're not doing it like the Detroit Pistons where you go, when does this end? When, when are we good, right? The Sixers reached that point where the NBA had to step in and go, you can't suck anymore. You've sucked for long enough. This is too much sucking, all right? No more. The Raptors, to me, why this is the worst, why this is the most unwatchable is because of that. Is the, it's, the, it's the continuation of last year. It's the continuation of the drag last year. It's the same characters. It's the same cast that was really hard to watch last year. But now the storylines are more pressing where you go, wait, Siakam's a free agent at the end of this year. Like he's going to be a free agent this year. OG and Anobi, they can't resign right now and he's going to be a free agent this year. And people are saying, oh, don't worry. They'll resign him if they have to. And I'm like, yeah, I bet you they thought that with Fred Van Vliet too. And that, that's a great plan until it's not a great plan. And somebody else decides, you know what? We're actually not going to give you a big bundle of picks for OG Ananobi because we don't want to give up those assets plus more to re-sign this guy. You've got Gary Trent Jr. coming off the books and you've got Scotty Barnes who is going to be exiting his rookie contract soon, who's taking a great step. But the whole point is, hey, if he's good, the clock is ticking on building a team around him. So it's like the idea that they doubled down on this group, the idea that they went into the season with all these guys just looming, the fact of the matter that this team is just, they're not very good. I, like we can celebrate these Charlotte wins all we want. They just got smoked by... Uh, what, an also 10 and 15, another also ran Hawks team. I know they split with them, but they were coming off of what, three losses in a row? It's just, it's, it's a group that's going to struggle to be around 500 this year. And so to me, it's like, they don't own their first round pick. Their first round pick from this year, Grady Dick, who everybody was excited about, he can't get a sniff. He can't get a minute on a team that has what? No depth and no shooting. The two things that he was supposed to provide for this team. Good for him, though. He's doing a podcast, apparently. I'm really thrilled. Armin alerted me to that today. I was like, how about you shoot some jump shots? How about you practice your jump shot? That would, that would be a better source of time. That would be a, a better way to spend it for me right now. Um, they've got those three massive decisions pending. The new coach, it's been a rocky start, I would say. It hasn't been great. They're moving the ball more, but they're missing the same amount of shots. They still can't shoot, still can't do it. They added that center that, again, is an uncomfortable fit. The real positive is that Scotty Barnes looks great, right? The last five games, uh, maybe six, whatever, the last five, six games, he's been dominant. He's doing this whole combination of baby Giannis. There's a little bit of LeBron to him when he's moving the ball and he's passing it, he's getting to his spots. I really enjoy watching Scotty Barnes. But like I said, the promise of Scotty Barnes gets lost if you're looking at a player who they can't build a proper team around or there's not a young core of players or assets within your organization that make you feel like you're going to be able to capitalize on whatever this player becomes. Because this is the NBA, baby, and this is Toronto. And you don't start to hit on those things. And what happens next? You have to worry about potentially a player wanting to be somewhere else. And so, yeah, uh, as great as that's been, that is very much a reality. Also a reality. Uh, I've been talking about Ovi on this show and how much I've been enjoying him not scoring goals and how my guy Sidney Crosby is still dominating, albeit on a terrible hockey team, but that Alex Ovechkin is, you know, chasing empty netter goals and that he has gone quite some time without scoring. I think it's 13 games without scoring. Anyways, I'm just a dumb idiot and I'm not really watching these games and I'm not really paying attention to them. I'm just checking box scores and going, did Ovi score? And actually, I get the feeling sometimes when I see 
Because the Capitals have been sneaky better than we expected. Remember we saw them in Toronto and they looked like they were going to be pretty moribund. This is a team that we thought would be a real, real struggle for them to remain competitive. They've actually been able to keep their head above water, but I check these box scores when I see they've scored a bunch of goals and go, ah, oh, no, Ovi probably got two tonight. Still no. I think it's 13 games without a goal. Shayna Goldman is smart, does watch these things, did break it down. She wrote a great piece that was on The Athletic. I read it yesterday of the Too Many Men podcast, uh, breaking down what the hell is going on with Alex Ovechkin in this incredible scoring drought. I think only five goals in... 28 games. Uh, that's, a, mm, that's a guess. Uh, Shane Goldman, good morning. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's great to, great to have you. It was a great piece. Thanks for writing it. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> let's just start with this. Um, how much of this is luck? A lot. I oh. mean, look, we're talking about a, a sport where players get around with knives on their boots and shoot pucks super fast, and there's divots in the ice, and there's you know, someone in the net that has to stop pucks. Like, there's a million things that go into it. It's definitely bad luck contributing to it. Like, there's no doubt. Yeah, because I, I look at the shooting percentage and I go, okay, this is this is clearly bad. But one of the things that I really liked about the article is that you go over basically everything. The only thing is, like, with the luck stuff is, all right, so it's a lot. The shooting percentage is going to regress. But I, I really like the part about, you know, you outlining how the league has adjusted to him. My question would be, how is it that it took this long for that to happen? I I don't know if it's that it took this long or that now the focus can truly be on him, right? Because, you know, a lot of the focus of the story was his play on the power play. That's where, you know, he does, he does a lot of his damage and, you know, it could be up to 50% of his scoring, but generally at least 30% of his scoring, right? You're going to expect to be on the power play. And you look at years past and... If you tried to get into OV shooting lane, one, good luck blocking that shot. But two, who are you opening up to take a shot? Because Nick Backstrom, while we all know he was a great playmaker, can still take shots, uh, could still take shots, sorry. Someone like TJ Oshie would be across the way in the right circle. You couldn't leave him undefended. Then you had a net front guy, whether it was a Troy Brower at the heights of that power play or a Marcus Johansson or even now it's Tom Wilson, like, you can't forget that position, too. Plus, they had someone at the point who was really good at shooting the puck. It was Mike Green. It was John Carlson. It was someone. So if you cheated too much towards Ovi, somebody else is going to beat you, even though that should have been your primary focus. He was the best shooter on the team, the primary shooter, their biggest weapon. But you just couldn't afford it. So, you know, we would watch how many power play goals over the years, and you look at it and say, like, why is nobody near Ovechkin? It was because they had to worry about everybody else. That isn't the case anymore. Power play one has had a couple different looks this year. Faction's no longer on it because he's not playing. Kuznetsov lost his spot because he's been outright terrible this season. Mm. And you've seen them try a couple different looks with guys like Dylan Strom and Tom Wilson playing that net front presence now. And that's fine. And those are all pretty good players. But none of them are this, like, elite scoring threat on the power play. And the other part of it is we all know what this season's about for the Capitals, and that's mm. getting Ovechkin to his milestone. So I think we're just seeing, you know, penalty killers cheat a little bit more towards him, and we're seeing players more willingly block their shot because they're not worried about overcommitting to him because who else is going to do any damage? Okay, so this is one of the, the questions that I love when thinking about this team moving forward because you're right. It's, this is all about the chase, right? This is, this is we all went into the season, hey, he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. Hey, this thing's going to be a layup. Hey, he's going to play for as long as it takes to get this thing done. Um, but the Capitals, who now are, are going to move, like they're not even going to do this. Like you, you want them to do this in Washington, right? Like you want them to do this downtown 
uh, in Washington, in the district, make sure that he finishes this with the Capitals. If you're building this team out, do you think that it's realistic? And, of course, part of what you're saying is, hey, that they need more skill. So what team doesn't want to add more skill? Maybe these two things just kind of go hand in hand. But do you think that it's too far a leap to believe that the Capitals could actually try moving forward, like, say, past this season if it continues this way, building a roster that is just more suitable to helping Ovechkin score goals? Yeah, why not? I mean, if you get Ovechkin to score more goals, not only are you getting closer to your milestone, but you're still competitive. And it's kind of tough because you look at the Capitals and what they did the last deadline and thought, like, oh, they're retooling on the fly. Like, they did it better than most teams. Hey, we're not good enough. This is what we're selling. And look at all these assets we have. The weird thing was that they didn't use them for themselves this summer. They didn't do anything to make themselves that much better. Could they be better in a week or two or a month or two when, you know, Max Pacioretty returns? Absolutely. He's a, he's more of a shooter than a passer, but that's another scoring start on the power play. Maybe that works in Ovechkin's favor. And if he can be, you know, if he can play opposite Ovechkin and start threading him passes, that's a start. But I think that you have to look at it and think, if you're committing everything to this chase and you, you want to stay competitive, you need your best player to be clicking a little bit more. So you have to find a way to maximize his game, and I think that's just finding him another passer. Like, Dylan Strom isn't some super great passer, but last year he actually was, you know, pretty above average in his shot assist rate of five-on-five, and even Kuznetsov was better in that regard last year, and he's dropped off so much. You need someone who can feed him pucks because he's not getting that as much at five-on-five like he did last year, and he's not getting it as much on the power play from anybody else besides the point man, and that's making his shots a little more obvious. So you can try to promote someone like Connor McMichael higher in the lineup, who I think is a pretty good playmaker, mm. or maybe they can look for, you know, it doesn't have to be the highest key option, but just someone that has, you know, a top six capability of moving pucks to set them up more. I think it benefits them in both ways right now. Yeah. I just like picturing them being buyers at the deadline this year for someone who helps Ovechkin score goals, right? Like in the record pursuit, something that might end up hurting them in the long run but something that helps them get this record because I just, I do think that it means that much to the franchise, but as a sports fan and especially in hockey where like the individual accomplishments, they they don't come up as often, right? Like Connor McDavid is really close to a thousand career points and that'll be celebrated. We just did it with John Tavares, but John Tavares is like his thousand points was kind of a blip. We talked about it for a few days here in the market and then you move on and it's all back to the team success. But Ovechkin's feels like a little bit bigger than that. Okay, so the next one is just how much of this then is genuine decline? Because he is 38 years old and all right, the pieces around him might not be as good and he's struggling to get his on the power play. But I, I got to be a little nervous that he's not getting anything at five on five. Yeah, so the drop off, definitely is age-related to he's 38 years old and the problem is when you look at aging curves the sample of players is going to drop by the time you're at 38 so we have so much to work with you know based on players who are left in the league we know that power play scoring tends to age better though than five on five scoring so you would expect that to be a bigger threat for him and it's a lot of bad luck and it's a lot of readability because everybody knows it's going to be the pass from someone like Carlson or Rasmus Sandy from the point versus that lateral pass that's going to better his shot and goalies are able to get set for him more. But at five on five, it's pretty concerning that his shot rate is so much lower. You know, on the power play, you go, he's still shooting the puck similar to last year and he has more quality chances. You can't say the same at five on five. And then the fact that, it, you know, for both, they're getting blocked at a higher rate is a bit concerning for him. I think at five on five, the fact that the passing is so down in his minutes, though, 
is really hurting his game. And at this point, he needs someone that's going to lift him up a little bit more because that's where we're seeing the decline show a little bit more. And it makes sense because that's where you can't be a stagnant, right? You you can't stay stay in one spot like you would on the power play. you got to skate up and down the ice, and he doesn't have that. And the fact that he's playing, staying 95% of the time on the power play, doesn't manage his minutes as well as it could. And he, you know, there's definitely going to be more fatigue sitting in later in games and in the second half of the season. So even if we sit here and say, right, the quality of his shots in all situations, he should probably have about thir- um, he should probably have about 13 goals. A differential of like, you know, minus eight is one of the fourth worst in the league. There's only four, play- three other players who have been more unlucky than him. Even if we expect all that to bounce back and say he, you know, starts scoring at that pace, that would put him on a 35-goal pace this season. That's not nothing. Do we expect that to continue in the second half of the year? Does he have it in him to be as good, you know, at creating shots, at creating scoring chances in the second half of the season at age 38? Like, I think that needs to be considered as well, even if all of a sudden he gets those lucky bounces. See, it's it's so funny how, you know, you mentioned the small sample size of players at 38 years old. And, okay, we've got advances in sports science, and we've always seen Ovechkin be just a, a, a physical phenom in this sport. And it's someone who, yeah, I, I like, yeah, he's he is a, he's a one-of-one type player. But the mythology that we build up about guys, this just always seems to come back. And even for somebody like me, hit me. Like, I remember when Kobe Bryant tore his Achilles, and I went, no big deal, he'll come back, he's Kobe Bryant. If anybody comes back from this, that, how old was Kobe, 37, 38, somewhere in there when he, when he tore it? And I went, he'll come back, he's Kobe freaking Bryant. I saw one hype video of him getting his rehab done in a pool and I went there he is get ready to come back and then he did and it was over it was done right and and I kind of feel the same thing with Ovechkin where yeah like your article I think the headline was that he's on pace for 15 goals do I think he's going over that uh, absolutely I do but uh, I do wonder if uh, this chase becomes a bit of a slog right like if he only hits 20 25 goals this season and then we're talking about an age 39 player coming back here and some of these signs of decline and this starts to happen. It, I don't think it gets embarrassing, but I do think that it gets awkward. And so to, to you, do you think that this, like the record is actually in jeopardy now? Yeah, it might be. And like it, it does, it, it's really unfortunate for him because like he could have hit it by now if it wasn't for lockouts and sure. things like that. But that's the reality of it, right? Like this is the world he's in. We can pretend and go, well, he would have picked out for these numbers these years. I think this start is hurting him. I, I like you, think he's going to bounce back and score more than 20 goals this year. I, I, you know, I don't think 15 is what we're going to see at the end of the year. I think we're going to see 25, which is good. It's solid. But I just think it's not that he can lose the record right now, but the fact that he's losing ground really is a strike against him. Could this be this you know, random outlier season? Yeah. <laughs> we see that all the time in, in the NHL, that one player just has a bad season out of nowhere. They're super unlucky, whatever it is, and they return to form. But what's the likelihood of that happening at age 39? It feels like the Capitals need to start making more adjustments now. And they have been. Don't get me wrong. Like they even tried moving him to the, to the slot on the power play to try to get him a different look than, you know, his patented one-timer from the left circle. And it just didn't work. I think they have to figure out more than just moving him but figuring out the players around him to maximize him at this point. It's not that he's a one-trick pony, but he's very good at what he does. So how can you make him better at what he does at this point in his career? Like, that's that's the chance if you want to get him to the circuit, if you want to keep it. I think he has to hit 35 goals this year if he's going to, you know, catch up because realistically, 
do you keep moving on? If you only have 15 at this year, you know, this year, do you say the chase is over? Like it might just be. Yeah. I, that's the part that I, I have the toughest time seeing is I just feel as though the Capitals are going to run him out there. Yager style, like year over year over year and, and let him play and that the minutes will go down. And it's why. Okay. So like, I think that it's in jeopardy. The goal record is in jeopardy of feeling awesome. For, for the league, right, where Ovechkin's just tearing it up and we're celebrating it as, hey, this is the greatest goal scorer of all time and it's without a doubt and look at how he's doing this at an advanced age versus he scores 25 this year, you know, 20 next year. Like, I don't think that there's going to be anything that stops him from playing. Like, what what is he at right now? 18 a night, I think you were putting it? 18, 18, something like that? A night still in the NHL? Yeah. Right, so I, I yeah, just... It, it's a dip. Yeah, I just don't see him ever going away until he gets this thing done. <laughs> I just, I think he'll cling on to the league and that someone somewhere, even if it wasn't Washington, which I think it will be, will continue to pay the guy in hopes that he does, he has the record and that he's a draw in one of these buildings. I actually don't know if I see that happening. Like, hmm. I don't know if I see him pulling a Yager. And the fact that, like, even over the last few weeks, like, he doesn't have the shooting luck and it looks like a five-on-five, five, like, you'll see these two-on-one plays where you're expecting him to take the shot. Like, it looks like he's even kind of letting his teammates know, like, you have the shooting luck, you score the goal. And it's, and he's the happiest person in the world when his teammates accomplish anything. Just mm. because it gets the team closer to winning, that I'm like, I, I wonder if he goes, all right, the chase isn't happening and I don't need to embarrass myself. And, you know, if he's done playing, he's done playing. It's not like he's, I, I don't want to, like, insult him, but, like, the world's most disciplined player. He's not Sidney Crosby. I feel like it's, it's different the way he approaches the game. Mm-hmm that I wonder if it's not working for him that he's like, all right, I won my cup. I did my thing. And it was great and wonderful. Like, I, I really don't know how he looks at it, but I, I would be curious because I don't think anybody would want to go out that way. Mm. Yeah. I don't think so either, but ugh, just being able to get that record, it's such a, such a great record. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think he, I, I would just think that he grinds it out. Maybe I, again, though, I've mythologized this player. Okay. Before you go, uh, I gave you homework, which I don't like doing for guests. Uh, I think it's rude. You've already given me a lot of your time for free. And here I am I'm like, do stuff for me, please uh, do my own work. But yeah, I've been talking about how I think the Leafs have been looking better the last couple of weeks. They've played some better hockey. They had a horrific, horrific game against Columbus where they came back and scored uh, five goals in the third period. But no, outside of that, it's been a team that despite a bunch of injuries and missing some players due to some sickness and ups and downs with goaltending, uh, seems to have found a bit of a stride. Are you seeing, is there a sign to you that this is actually real, that something has been changing, or is this the eye test deceiving me? All right, so the eye test isn't deceiving you. Um, and the the homework, luckily, uh, did tie into something else I was working on. So as I was doing that, I'm like, okay, this Phew. is good. I can use it. Okay, nice. Uh, <laughs> good. Please credit so, me in the article. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So at five on five, you're seeing their offense creation tick up, which is good. The problem is that the defense is ticking up as well, but they're finishing their chances. They're outpacing their defense still. And the goaltending, it hasn't always been the worst in the world. There's, you know, but how can you trust that? The thing to me that is the most encouraging is that when the goaltending is bad or the defense is bad and it puts them out of deficit, which happens, you know, every team falls behind at some points and they spend a good chunk of their time in behind in games, they're really good at coming back. Um, and that I think is encouraging. Like while they're down in games, they outscore mm-hmm. opponents at five on five by a differential of plus 11, which is one of the better 
rates in the league. And you can see, like, their offensive creation is very good when they're behind in games. Their goal scoring, they have the results to match. Not every team can say that they do. You look at the Edmonton Oilers, and they're one of the worst at finishing their chances when they're behind in games, which is why they fall so far back this season. Mm. The other thing is the Maple Leafs goaltending is actually good in moments when they're behind in games. So when you look at it, when they're ahead, they're not a team that is just running up the score. They're creating a lot of offense, but the defense and goaltending don't quite match that. And sometimes that score affects too, because teams that are trailing pick up the pace offensively and teams that are ahead can sit back a little defensively. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, that comeback ability does feel a little bit sustainable because the Leafs are legitimately one of the better teams are playing behind in games. Ideally, they're not in that situation as often as they've been this season, but when they are, they can dig themselves out of it, which is a big reason why they came back against Columbus. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that piece. Uh, and again, people can go to The Athletic right now. Go to Shayna's uh, Twitter, which is at Hey Shay. It's lots of whys, all right? She's the one with all lots the whys. It, all the whys in the Twitter handle, then you've, you've found, you found the article. Uh, thanks for making time today. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, look forward to reading the next one. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Shayna. Uh, Shayna Goldman of the Athletic and Too Many Men podcast. Uh, okay, so it's funny because the, the comeback thing, <sighs> we've seen it. I think a lot of us know that the Leafs are good at it. It's just because they are such historically, I, I, here's what I actually hope she, hope she was going to say. The Leafs are having much better starts lately. The Leafs are just, you know, beginning games a lot better. And because that is something that I think a lot of people want to see. You want to be able to look at a team and say, hey, there's growth here. Hey, there's something that is changing. Hey, there's a different approach. Hey, they're maturing in a certain way. Hey, this player fits a little bit better because of X. Oh, hey, this player has improved internally and has now become someone that you can rely upon in a different way. And the comeback thing is great. But I think we all know that they have the ability to do that. But I think we've known that they have that ability. Uh, they've had that ability for quite some time. And in, in fact, you, you do wonder if they've leaned on it too much. The idea that, oh, don't worry, like we can start a little slow because we have the ability to come back in these games. They're first in the league in comebacks. And now, yeah, Shane has pointed out that they're first in the league in goal differential when they're behind, which is, again, these are positive statistics. Make you feel like you're not out of a game. Um, and also, you know, when I'm talking about, because I'm going to do the, the other two unwatchable teams, right, in honor of the Raptors last night, uh, later on in the show. I'm going to do, yeah, the, the, the two other most unwatchable Toronto sports teams this decade from the, the major sports, uh, the, a.k.a. the years that they were there. Because I saw some replies to my tweet yesterday and I thought that they were pretty horrible. Gotta, gotta say, like some of you, I get it. Recency bias is very much a thing, but oof. Yeah, once, once I outline the cases for some of these other teams, I think some of you that wrote to me are going to maybe, you don't have to delete the tweets, but maybe you could reply to the tweet going, yeah, you're right. This... I, I regret what I said because we, we can all regret what we say in the heat of a moment. But yeah, I, I'm hoping that, let's put it this way. I'm hoping that the Leafs do a better job of gaining and protecting leads rather than giving up and chasing games and coming back in them. I think that there's more to be learned about this group and you can feel more confident about the team if that starts to turn rather than the numbers continue with them falling behind in games and finding their way back and, and scoring in them. Because I, I just don't think that you're going to be facing the Columbus Blue Jackets come playoff time. I think you're going to be in a scenario like you were last year facing 
uh, a very deep and very hungry and very mean Florida Panthers team where, yeah, you maybe do run into a hot goalie. Anyway, um, one other quick leaf thing before we take the break. McKay back to the left side with the, on the blue line tonight. He and Lilligren are paired together. Right now, it's Benoit that is jumping up into the top. These were the pairings at, at, at skating, uh, at, at practice yesterday. So we'll see. But I think that this one is legit. But McCabe going back to his left side and Lilligren being on the right, this is sort of what the winning, when I, when I talked about winning, buying the Leafs time to figure stuff out, this is going to be one of the keys that they have to figure out. What do you have with these two? McCabe played a lot better when he got back, he moved to the right side, he simplifies his game, and he stops jumping up in the rush as much and making those high-risk, high-reward plays that McCabe used to just try to make with the hitting, but this season started to try to do a little bit more with the offense. I don't know how much of that was actually mandated by the coaching staff. I'm guessing it was because in case you've been living under a rock, you know that the Leafs don't get a lot of offense from their blue line this year. So maybe they were trying to press it. Maybe they were trying to scheme something up and they decided this is what we're going to do more pinching, more offense. But McCabe has been better playing on his offhand, but I've mentioned this a few different times. It was never going to be a long-term solution. Having both of your top four D on the right side be lefty shots. It just, it, it just wasn't. There were too many times where you're watching D-to-D passes or guys have to go back in the zone and try to make plays where it just it looked really uncomfortable and it was very, very risky. So this pairing all of a sudden, Lilligren being on his right hand, being – how old is Lilligren now? He's got to be 25, right? He's got to be 25 season, age 26 season. I don't know. Either way, he's, he's somewhere in there. He's 24? Okay, he's a little younger. I thought that he was a little bit older. But yeah, now it's 24, age 24 season. You'd like to see the step. If he can stay healthy, you'd like to see a bit of a step. They've been banking on that for quite some time. Is this guy a top 4D or is this someone that you still need to shelter with heavier minutes and against tougher competition? And now he and McCabe have this opportunity where you go, are you actually a solid pair? Are you something that this team can rely upon? Can you take a step forward where the fan base is feeling like, damn, now this blue line is incredibly deep, and now any move that you're making is actually a luxury. I'm not convinced. I still think that having that top right-hand D, someone that can bump everybody down, is ultimately the solution. But yeah, what does McCabe look like with a full season under his belt, or a full couple months anyway, sorry, before the deadline, playing on his correct side, with a high upside guy in Lilligren that we've seen real flashes from? Can these two find something consistent? Can these two find something that you know, you believe in and can it take a little bit of pressure off of a deadline where the Leafs are saying, hey, we got to go into this with a and go get a D. We got to go into this and get a top four D. Anyway, something to watch. Uh, quick break. Let's come back and deep dive a little bit more into arguably the greatest streak in professional sports right now. So nice to see you, Nick. Great that you arrived. Hey, everybody. Nick. Hey. Only 30 minutes late for work. <laughs> Only 30 minutes late for work. Not bad. I thought you just took the day off because the your Eagles got smoked. And, you know, here's the origin of 
Nick and I talking about the Eagles. Me going, mm, I think that there's something off with the Eagles. And him going, no, here's what you're not giving them credit for. I was like, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. Uh, the coordinator thing that he threw at me yesterday was a little strange where it's like, okay, that's actually a reeking of dysfunction. <laughs> but uh, this is a... Uh, this is a team now who is still going to win their division because they get Tommy DeVito and they get, I think you guys get Tommy DeVito twice. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's what <laughs> yeah, yeah. You guys get Tommy DeVito twice. Oh, yeah. And who else? You get someone else just completely terrible. Uh, is it Kyler Murray? I don't know, but yeah, I think that's it is it. Arizona. Yeah, so yeah, your schedule is a complete cakewalk. When is, when does call of duty come out again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're saved by that. But I've been saying all year long, Armin knows it. I've been saying, Eagles, congrats. I mean, winning these games, it just it feels off. It doesn't feel right. This, isn't, this is not the Eagles team that we were expecting this year. This wasn't the heavyweight tilt we were expecting where it was going to be, hey, there's a date with destiny, and it's Niners and it's Eagles, and it's going to be two teams that are really tough in the trenches. It's going to be a slugfest but ultimately, man, the Eagles are going to have that quarterback who we saw in the Super Bowl break out. And Jalen Hurts, we all thought he was going to be the super-duper star, one of the future. I think it was, see that? I don't know if he was the favorite for the MVP to start the season, but he was in the top. He was at the very, very tippity top. He went, man, look at the weapons that this guy has, and plus the legs, plus the line. Players decide coordinators matter. Yeah, okay, so there's a case to be made that, the, that this team is really suffering from the brain drain of losing their offensive and defensive coordinators from last year, which I think is a real thing, right? We saw this with the Atlanta Falcons when they ended up losing Kyle Shanahan. And they went to a Super Bowl, Matt Ryan was MVP, they lost Kyle Shanahan, and we've never heard from them since. <laughs> like it's, they have they completely disappeared. Uh, so maybe it's the same thing with the Eagles, but I, I thought that this team was supposed to be so loaded with talent and that their head coach, Nick Sirianni, was supposed to be enough of the man to keep the ship right. And frankly, like last night, Jalen Hurts is the, the best when it comes to the inspirational quotes. I actually have one bookmarked that, that got me all fired up one time on Instagram, <laughs> straight up. There's one where he just, he's going on with his, I compete and I want to win. And I went, yes, this guy is a dog. I love Jalen Hurts. I want to root for Jalen Hurts. Um, and then he had one yesterday where he was talking about how the team is missing. What was, what was the line? Some kind of competitive edge. What, what's the line? He said, cause then he, you got it, Armin. We're not committed. Oh, you're, right we're not now. committed enough. And then they, the reporter went, what does that mean? He's like, I don't have a dictionary in front of me. I was like, okay, well, you're the one who said it. He's regretting it immediately. <laughs> He's like, whoops. I forgot that this is Philadelphia and that this was a nationally televised game and that everyone's going to run with this headline forever. And that this probably isn't helping teams. Um, do I think that the Eagles are still fringe Super Bowl contenders? Sure, because the the rest of the NFC just doesn't have very much. Like I said, I think that the Rams are the second best team in the NFC right now. I really do. Uh, I think uh, the Cowboys obviously beat the brakes off of them, and so their fans would be losing their minds at that take. But I just right now where they're two, where the two are going, I think it's between those two. Um, I think the Cowboys would, yeah, the Cowboys would have home field advantage if they did end up playing. So yeah, I guess I would give the Cowboys the nod there. Um, but I weirdly think that the Rams have a better shot at beating the Niners, which is why I have them like a little bit higher. Weird one. Weird one, I got to say. Weird one because I, I would favor the Cowboys in that head-to-head, how could you not against the Rams? But I would say that if I my life was on the line I had to pick one of the teams, give me the weird seeing you for the third time team in the Rams with Sean McVay over 
the Cowboys, who have been completely obliterated by the Niners over and over and over again and conclusively, like, and have to go on the road. So it's a weird one. I get why a Cowboys fan would be, yeah, off on that take. The Eagles, I don't really know where to place because it's just felt like a lot of their wins have been pretty fraudulent. They've gotten super lucky. They got a Dak Prescott stepping out of bounds. Lucky. You got the Buffalo Bills melting down at the end. Lucky. You, you know, it's just what what are we supposed to look at about this Eagles season and say that we feel great about? It's like your pass rush stinks. You got Jalen Carter that fell to you in the draft. That's like the big win of the season. The secondary is horrific. It's awful. The pass rush thing is crazy. Like yep. they led the league last year in sacks yep. by like 15 or something like that. Like, and the whole thing was like, they don't need to blitz. They can get home with four and yeah. we'll get multiple. And they just, they can't. Yo, that was because the offense was dynamic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for a while. Like, sure. Like, it's just like shocking to see a team that was 15 sacks yeah. better than everybody else be like completely middle, middle of the pack. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's more than just the offense being dynamic. And it, it is. It's There's there's something to what Simon's saying. Is the, the D-line and the pass rush is definitely, they, they've lost a step. They can't cover the middle of the field. Tight ends just, just destroy them. It well, just, I mean, oh. if, if the offense is out there for four plays at a time and then immediately the def- the defense is getting back out there but that's be a, but that's not it that's not it they're not they're not punting every tired. single drive they're yeah, not punt- that's not on that's it. not it the, the 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 secondary is not up to snuff there's not there's nothing that's, there outside okay. of slay yes. the se- the secondary is a bunch of guys in slay who's old and who was hurting that last game and you saw it on that final drive where you go oh yeah you guys can't cover anybody like that's just it they don't have a good linebacker core. They had to go out and sign Shaq Leonard because they were that desperate to go find a linebacker. They went and said, hey, this guy who's been hurt for uh, like as long as I can. Th- this is my reaction was when Shaq Leonard sweepstakes happened, I was like, oh, right, Shaq Leonard. <laughs> when was the last time he played? And the Eagles went, please be our savior. Please, please be our savior. The NFL is now kind of going against the Eagles with their tush push and their offensive line and the chicanery of that play. Like they, we saw it again last night where they're down on the goal line and they called Kelsey and he's the man. I, I, I would actually say it's so funny. Most of this time when players get this way, where they're just so completely oversaturated, I go, I'm sick of this guy. Now we've had too much of this guy. I can't get enough. Jason Kelsey. Yeah, he's sweet. He's the he's man. Just sweet. He is just the man. Yeah. Like you noticed that I did acknowledge that though. Right. This morning. What? <laughs> that, uh, that Kelsey and that move, um, you know, where he just sort of shifts the ball up. Now the NFL's calling it. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. Is that that's what I'm saying? Is the chicanery? They're 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 calling this differently. Clearly, Goodell wants to get rid of that play, and part of it is that he's slow rolling this. Of hey, make sure that they make even the slightest mistake on that play, and we are on top of it. the The officials have been given the memo. Hey, Eagles, you're going to do that play. Fine, you're going to do it to the letter of the law. You are never getting away with even a helmet peeking over the ball. You're not getting it where Kelsey, again, readjusts the ball. Nothing. You will do it perfect. And yeah, Kelsey tried to own it because again, he's one of the coolest guys, one of the best guys in the NFL. Like it's just, it's, if you don't like, if you don't like Jason Kelsey, I don't have time for you. Like I genuinely (laughs) like his brother annoying as hell. I get it. I'm like, oof. I like the two of them together, but yeah, I'm good on the Travis content the Taylor Swift stuff. I'm completely over it. But Jason, he's the man. Anyway, I just, the Eagles are trending in a really bad spot. And so maybe they get right against these last three teams and it takes a little bit of the pressure off where they can find themselves. Um, but I just, I, I don't see the slugfest matchup coming with the Niners. I just think that this is going to be a Niners cakewalk to the Super Bowl. I've said it over and over and over and over again. And the Eagles were my kind of one hope. And I don't think it's going to happen. Two other quick thoughts off of this game though. One is that, yeah, um, the Eagles 
haven't beaten the Seahawks since 2008. And now I deeply care about the statistic. It is actually something that, because, you know, Seahawks, when they went into the post-awesome defense era and they didn't win any playoff games, the one thing that we did get was a playoff win against the Eagles. And then they cried about it because they were like, we didn't have our best quarterback in the game. It was like, yeah, because that's the Eagles fans. It's like, they're, I would say, if I had to rank the biggest crybaby, and you hear it in Nick, like, all the time, right? Like, and Nick is just, like, he's interrupting me constantly to be like, here's an excuse. And I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. Here's, here's, a, quick, here's a quick fact that you don't know about the excuses for this team, GD. It's like, if, if you're doing crybaby fan bases across all sports, like, Eagles fans, super high. Super high on the list. Like, there's some fans that don't even play the game, like Patriots fans who are worse because they're like, we ah, six rings, you know. Uh, it's just they walk away from anything. They're like, we're oblivious to all this. We, we just, we're, we're checking out because we're front runners. We have zero idea how to actually interact in the world as real sports fans. It's like there's bad ones like that. There's people who are Niners fans, which is like you're probably, ah, you're probably involved in some kind of crime. <laughs> like you're... You're not a good, it, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, Tim Robinson. And I think you should leave. It's, it's like tattoos. It's like, yeah, it's not a crime, but it's certainly not good behavior. Speaking of Niners fans, it's not good behavior. If, if there's a fan base that leads the league in fights in their own stands between their own fans, Niners, yeah. number one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. When I meet someone who's a Niners fan, it's pretty much an automatic, like, no, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. See ya. <laughs> Walk away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, but yeah, Eagles fans, just sneaky, real crybaby fan base, like real deep-seated crybaby fan base. Um, and so, yeah, having this over them since 2008 is awesome. And having Drew Locke, the champion, the stud, tall, handsome, cannon, moves, yeah. all the things, yeah. threw for no yards before that drive. Hey, and I was threw for a bunch on that drive, yeah. though. My, here, here's my for real take, though, on the Seahawks. This is the for real take, because some Seahawks fans, I, and you know this, I... I I actually don't talk about the Seahawks very often because I think it's annoying when other podcasts spend too much time talking about their favorite football team. And I, I want more of the, hey, what do you think about the teams you're not so biased against? Um, it was a great win. It was a really exciting win. Football is just the best because you can't help but root for your team and a, a victory like that, even when you're kind of rooting for potentially a bit of a tank. I don't think the Seahawks can compete in the NFC, I don't think that they would beat the Eagles again in the postseason going on the road. Um, I don't think that they would beat the Rams. I don't think that they would beat the Cowboys. I don't think that they would beat the Niners. Like, there's a long list of teams that are ahead of them, and there's a there's an ugly middle in the NFC right now. Well, in the AFC too, right? There's all these teams that are like, oh, they're in the playoff race, and yet not a lot of us care because no one really thinks any of these teams are threats, right? Like, is there a single team that is a down-ballot, group that we think can compete do we really think that the cincinnati Bengals and jake browning are going to go on a run to the super bowl like i don't Colts, no no texans yeah no. that's what i'm saying it's like none of these teams are for real the vikings i think are still in a playoff spot right now hey the saints could still win the nfc that's, South, that's what man. i'm saying the saints the saints who their coach has to go to the podium and be like oh huh, what do you think about Derek Carnell, really? <laughs> when they uh, win a game against a crappy team quick uh, question who that yeah uh <laughs> But I was a little upset that Pete Carroll got let off the hook in this game because he had two of the worst timeouts I've ever seen. It was horrific game management. He's just, he's so past his prime. It's just, it's, it's, it's so clear that the Seahawks need a change, that they, they've got a, it's been years of letting Pete Carroll and John Schneider invest on the defense and try to find playmakers and try to find special players. And 
you just watch the Seahawks team and they've got a cup like Witherspoon who was hurt yesterday. You didn't get a, even see a look at him, but he looks like he might be special. And then I think DK is special, but they just don't have a quarterback that, that works with DK and they've never had a coordinator that just decides, yo, we're going to funnel this guy, the ball. It's hilarious at the end of the game where they need a score. They're like, why don't we just throw it to the, you know, most athletic guy in the NFL a couple of times. And you're like, yeah, huge, I thought maybe, fast. I yeah. thought maybe you would give that a go before the final drive of the game. Oh, he's only the biggest, strongest, fastest guy in the foot in, in the NFL. Like imagine if Tyreek was six, four and <laughs> with tons of muscles. And that's what you have here. I actually think Tyreek is a better route runner and he's, he's quicker, but Metcalf is a, just a beast and they, they never use him properly. So they got like two special players on this entire team. And it's just a bunch of meh. It's a bunch of, all right, that's fine. They don't do anything special defensively. They don't do anything special offensively. Just like they need a change. They're just one of those teams where every single year you're watching it. And, you know, this leads into what I'm going to do in the next segment of unwatchable teams. The Seahawks have kind of gotten to that place with me as a fan right now where I don't look forward to their games. I'm not looking forward to see the development of certain players. I'm not looking forward to see how they compete against some of the top teams. Because I've just known for the last couple of years during the, the Geno Smith era, let's call it, that what this what this team is, what the ceiling of this team is. Without a special quarterback, there's, there's just not there's just not a lot to love here. Like Kenneth Walker is a good running back. I don't think that he's, you know, gonna go into the Hall of Fame someday. Some of the offensive linemen that they've drafted are good. I don't think that any of them are like, holy crap, you you found one of the best three left tackles in football in Charles Cross. It's just it's always they get good talent, not great talent. The Jamal Adams trade just really hurt. It really did. Yeah. He's like, he didn't play yesterday and you went, nice. We have way more of a shot. <laughs> like he's not going to be trying to cover Dallas Goddard, who probably would have gone for 200 yards had Jamal Adams been in that game. But yeah, they're, they're just, a, they're a little rudderless and it's, it's hard to see. Anyways, um, speaking of unwatchable teams, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. And in honor of the Raptors, uh, this season's Raptors, I'm going to do my two other most unwatchable teams from the last decade in Toronto sports. All right, so I mentioned off the top of the show, I'm having a really tough time watching Toronto Raptors this year. Feels like work. And I got into this business because I didn't want to do work. I wanted it to feel fun. And when I watch the Raptors, it's a chore. It is. I'm sorry. It's a chore. I enjoy watching Scotty Barnes. And outside of that, mm, not so much. Does Siakam put together the odd 30 piece where I go, dude, this guy's underrated and he really is a awesome he would really be an awesome number two are there nights where i watch og and Anobi play defense and say this is really nice this is enjoyable are there nights where you watch Jakob purtle get two blocks he got uh, trey stuff. young that was yeah. nice the yeah. other the, like two day uh three games ago now that was nice i did enjoy that close <laughs> to the game but yeah um watching Jakob purtle underneath the basket just yeah well, it's that's all right it's, it's, <laughs> it's fine I don't know if it's worth a first-round pick in $20 million or if it ever was, but yeah. Uh, it's fine. But yeah, Scotty Barnes' progress has been great. Um, it hasn't always been this way, though, throughout the entire season. Like, there was a long stretch of games where he was not the team's leading scorer and that, you know, he was, yeah, he was putting together, you know, 13, 14, 15-point games while doing some other things. But yeah, Barnes has not been without his struggles this year. Like, it's it's been up and down this last uh, this last stretch of games, I think, just pretty much all of December. He's been much, much better. I think the one game was, that was really bad was the Miami game that I think about. Because I'm still watching these. Shockingly, I am still recording these and watching them. And yeah, uh, the only difference is that there are more games where I go, okay, I get it. 
<laughs> and I don't need to watch to finish to the fourth quarter or whatever. Um, but yeah, they're, they're pretty unwatchable. And I think a big part of this, the case I was outlining earlier, is that there's carryover here too, right? This isn't just the first year of it. Because to me, when it was unwatchable in Tampa during the pandemic season, the thing that you had was a lot of goodwill that was still there from the championship. Is the championship was close enough where you said, hey guys, you're having a year off. You're having a ton of injuries. Your team got sick. You had to move to and play in a different arena on the road. You can't be at home in Toronto. You can't be in your own beds. We get it. We're all pretty forgiving of this. I don't remember people being too mad. I remember there being some debate over whether they should tank or not and going, how is this even a discussion? Tank? Clearly tank. They weren't very good. And they needed to inject some young talent on the team. And they ended up getting Scotty Barnes because of it. So, again, it, it, it's just like, yeah, retroactively, not all tanks always work. But that year was, yeah, if you can be a team that just tanks one year and then can grab a player around what is a potential contender the next year, like, that's kind of an ideal circumstance. The one thing that, uh, you know, I remember thinking about the Bengals earlier this year when Joe Burrow was really hurt, thinking, man, if the Bengals actually really end up falling in this draft and they end up with a special talent that they can put around this team, that could really, really help them. Not to mention the subsequent drafts where they'll be picking high. But anyways, that was kind of the position the Raptors were in. So I never thought that that season was like unwatchable in the same way. To me, unwatchable carries over when you really don't care about the result of the game. Is when, when you know that you're too good to be the worst or somewhere close to it. You've had a couple of seasons where you have been bad. And you've seen a lot of the story already play out. And you're not exactly sure what you're supposed to be watching for. Like I said, to me, I'm watching for Scotty Barnes right now. But there's part of me that's going, okay, but how many of these pieces are going to be around Scotty Barnes this year? And how are they going to build out the team around Scotty Barnes? And do I feel some anxiety about what the future of OG Ananobi is and what the future of Pascal Siakam is and Gary Trent Jr. and how they're going to make this thing work, how they're going to make this thing operate, like where they're going to get better guard depth from? how they're going to fill the rest of the roster around Barnes over the next few seasons, I think is very, very, very much in question. Did they hire the right coach? Like, it's, it's hard to watch that. If the season was solely focused on Scotty Barnes' development and those players, I would go, okay, cool, there's some pieces around him, there's young guys that are going to grow, but not having really any certainty about pretty much all of the players on the roster outside of him beyond two years from now is difficult. It, it really is. Okay, so the most unwatchable teams of the last decade from the Toronto Maple Leafs. The 2015 Leafs. Oh, this was a bad <laughs> year. Going over this again was mildly traumatic, actually, because I remembered that not only were they 30, 44, and 8, again, just at the bottom. They did get Mitch Marner from this draft, but this doesn't count. I'm saying, like, in the moment. You knew they weren't one of the worst teams in hockey. They actually had, a like, a, a pretty decent start to the season where they were kind of in it and around it for a while, and then they just did their leafy thing and... It wasn't the 18-wheeler season, but it was not great. And yeah, Randy Carlisle was the coach. He ends up getting fired. And then they brought in Peter Horacek. And now, if you remember this time, if you were a Leafs fan, you will remember that when poor Peter Horacek got put in there, it was some of the most dog performances <laughs> you will ever see from a hockey team. Like, if there has ever been a lame duck coach that the players just decided that they were not going to give effort for it was Peter Horacek. That is his special place in Toronto Maple Leafs history. 
some of the toughest hockey to watch ever. Um, the leading scorer on that team was Phil Kessel with 61 points. JVR led the team in goals with 27. This is also down the line. And you went, okay, the top four scorers, Phil, JVR, Bozak, Kadri, that wasn't so bad, right? Those four guys. Yeah, except for the guys after them. Tied with 11 goals. So after those top four guys, tied with 11 goals, these names, Mike Santarelli, Peter Holland, yeah, and Richard Panic, each at 11. After them, the infamous David Clarkson and Joffrey Lupul, who ended up having his obviously awful breakup with the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, their whole team, they're just, it, it was not a really watchable thing. You were kind of hoping for the Kadri stuff. Phil was clearly at the end of his Leafs tenure, the team. It was just, there's nothing sadder when you're watching a team where things are kind of closing out. You go, wait, what is the direction? What is actually happening here? But for the most part, the team was really, really, really unwatchable. This was also the year that uh, Jonathan Bernier, who actually had a, looking at the season, the goalie tandem was not horrific. It's, yeah. it's part of the reason that they were sort of, uh, okay, if they won a lot of these 30 games, I got to say that it was on the backs of what was like, Bernie had a less than three goals against average. He had a 914 save. He was all right, but it was not a great year for him. We don't remember that because the memorable part was that he went to the Giants of Africa gala and he said, quote, Nelson Mandela is one of the most known athletes in the world, end quote. Mm. Yeah, not great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not great. Um, but yeah, the, the real proof of how they were unwatchable was March 23rd against the Minnesota wild because that game strapped, a th- uh, snapped a 13 year long sellout streak for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So that's how unwatchable that group was that leaf fans, the one place where it's just, it's impossible to get a ticket where, you know, they're going to sell out basically despite any roster that they cobble together that for in 13 years, they finally snapped that. Anyway, Morgan Riley was the only reason, really reason to watch. It was his second year in the NHL. He kind of took a bit of a step. He led the blue line in points. He was quality. You could see a little bit of the something that was Morgan Riley at that point in time. But yeah, outside of that, it was, it was a pretty unwatchable season. And yeah, hockey, oof. Watching for the tank is is really tough. It is tough. It's, it's really tough out of all the sports. Like at least basketball, you know, you're going to get some player who's going to come in and potentially immediately just change your franchise, right? Yeah. Hockey, it, you know, it doesn't always feel that way. If it's the McDavid draft, which they did try to tank, you know, um, you, you feel all right. But this this one, yeah, that was the most unwatchable Leafs season last decade. Uh, the most unwatchable team for me in the last decade was worse than this Raptors team. And I can't wait to go over because people said the 2023 Jays. Okay, the 2023 Jays were... A tough watch, okay? It wasn't a fun season. Yeah. Uh, Vibes were bad all year. Yeah, even Mark Shapiro said it where he went, you know, I I can't remember a team that made the playoffs that was this difficult to watch night in, night out. The runners in scoring position stuff, the base running stuff, the lack of success at home, the lack of the long balls at home, Vladdy's dip in production and wondering what the hell was going on there, the Varsho trade, right? But, like, ultimately that team won 89 games and did make it to the postseason. There were games in the middle of the summer. I was there. I go to a lot of these, like the Brave series, that were fun moments in the season. They, they were infinitely more watchable than the 2018 Toronto Blue Jays. Okay, so yeah, again, carryover matters. 2017 was brutal. 2017, the team essentially like closed the book. They tried to bring back Jose. They said, all right, you know, we'll give this one more go. We'll bring in Kendris Morales instead of... They did the half-rebuild thing on the fly. It didn't yeah. work out. They were bad in 2017. 
But after that bad 2017, they go 73 and 89. Josh Donaldson gets hurt immediately <laughs> in the season. Immediately. After an offseason of what's going to happen with this guy, should you be trading him right now? Uh, did the did you have a deal on the table with the St. Louis Cardinals that was going to bring back a big package, just split people back, split people in this fan base? People were going, oh, crap. Uh, Curtis Granderson gets jeered at the home opener. The one guy that we signed that everyone was like, oh, Curtis Granderson, we all love him. He couldn't catch a fly ball. And people booed him, or they gave him the Bronx cheer yeah. when he finally caught uh, a fly ball. They went 9-19 and 19 in May, which led to one of the most insufferable lines that Blue Jays fans, it's early, it's early, it's early, over and over and over again, Blue Jays fans were told, even though the season was a death march from that point forward. Um, they finished with a slightly above league average OPS uh, that year. They were 14th. So you went, okay, actually offense was a little bit better than I thought. And they hit a shocking amount of bombs. They were fifth. Problem is that all the home runs were hit by uh, the likes of Jan Hervé Solarte, mm. Randall Grichuk, Justin Smoke, 25 bombs for those two guys that year. Aledmus Diaz at Kendris Morales. You did have a slightly watchable uptick from Teoscar Hernandez, who started to flash some of the power and some of the promise that he was going to have for the Toronto Blue Jays in the upcoming years. Um, but yeah, that's uh, one of the more positive stories for this team. That's one of the most positive stories for this entire team. And here's the thing. All that offense was counteracted by the fourth worst ERA in all of baseball from the pitching staff that also gave up the fifth most home runs. So for all the long balls that you could be happy about from Jan Harvest Salarte and Aledmus Diaz and Kedris Morales, you also saw a lot of home runs going out the other way. Uh, they had 24 starts from Sam Gaviglio that year. 24 from Sam Gaviglio. That's too many Sam Gaviglio starts. <laughs> That's a very unwatchable, unwatchable, unwatchable thing to see Sam Gaviglio start. Like, again, say what you will about the 2023 Blue Jays. I could watch their starting pitchers go into any game and feel like you had a shot at winning. That was watchable was watching Chris Bassett. That was watchable seeing Yusei Kikuchi bounce back. It was always watchable kept watching Kevin Gossman. Here wasn't what was watchable. Um, Marco Estrada posting a 564 ERA. Aaron Sanchez posting a 489 ERA. And Marcus Stroman posting a 554 ERA. And by the way, that was like a huge component of this too, is that this was the death of the happiest Blue Jays teams that we could remember in 2015 and 2016. Devin Travis's career ended. Josh Donaldson wanted out all year long. And like I said, spent most of it on IR. Only played a few games here. Remember the reports of him. He's now running on hard ground. <laughs> and they ended up trading him for nothing over to Cleveland. Uh, he just miraculously got healthy enough to play one game and get traded before the deadline. If you do recall. Russell Martin's career ended with him finishing with a lower OPS than Luke Maley. And yeah, Marco Estrada ended his career with, like I said, an ERA of 564. Aaron Sanchez, it was over for him as well as the Blue Jay with the 489. Same with Marcus Stroman, who gets dealt the next year. But yeah, 554, the bloom was off the rose. The one thing Blue Jays had in the season was there was a J-Hap trade to monitor because J-Hap was carrying the rotation. He was the, he was the shining star. The Jays didn't have a lot to trade that year, okay? It was going to be a very difficult rebuild. But you looked at J-Hap, and it was a, a baseball always needs starting pitchers. And he was great until his final four starts with the Toronto Blue Jays, where he got absolutely eviscerated in two of them. And was kind of bad in one. And then they were very conservative with him in his last start. And then they ended up trading him to 
not just anybody, but to the New York Yankees, and you say to yourself, well, it must have been for a lot. No, the value with Jay Happ was diminished by those few starts, which put a lot of question marks around what you're actually trading for. Hey, are you actually just giving up stuff for a number three? But even still, no one thought they were getting back Brandon Drury and Billy McKinney. Brandon Drury <laughs> and Billy McKinney. That was what you waited to see all season long, which made it even more unwatchable because both of those guys came in here and were terrible. Although Ennis loved Billy McKinney and I'll never let him forget it. He loved him until we were at a Blue Jays home opener doing a show and Billy McKinney canceled on our show last minute. Wow. Yeah. And then finally Ennis was out. He crossed Ennis. <laughs> yeah, he crossed Ennis. <laughs> and then finally Ennis was out. Um, and this one is a lesser one because it didn't make it, you know, unwatchable, but made baseball even tougher that year. They traded Steve Pierce, uh, for cash yes. in Santiago Espinal to the Boston Red Sox, where he would go on to win world, world series, series MVP, MVP for a team that most people in this market hate. So anyways, when next time you think, oh, the Jays in 2023 were unwatchable and I'm never coming back to the ballpark. Just remember that you sat through that. If you're a real fan, you sat through that season and Yeah. That's much, much worse than winning 89 games with a good pitching staff and having at least some, you know, good players to watch on the roster. Just a little perspective. Again, I hated the 2023 team. I, I was very much on record with that last mm-hmm. year. There were a lot of things to be upset about, but there's a difference between, you know, collective beatdowns and an unwatchability of those two teams. So that's it to me is I have in the last decade, the 2023, 2024 Raptors, 2014-15 Leafs and the 2018 Blue Jays. Those are the three most unwatchable teams in Toronto sports in the last decade. All right, quick break. Let's come back. Hit what we missed. All right, before we get into what we missed, I just got to say, well, this is something that we did miss, so it's kind of is that. So Marc-Andre Fleury didn't get to start in his final game, potentially. That was the part people left out a lot. It was like his final game, uh, maybe. potentially. Maybe not. Maybe. What, what we'll could, see. What could yeah. be. It didn't say for sure. But anyway. Uh, his potentially final game against Pittsburgh Penguins. The Wild don't play him. And they say something along the lines of, I like when I just misquote teams. and I just don't care. To yeah. But it's like, ass. something along the lines of, <laughs> this was always the plan all along. All right? The Wild went, this was the plan all along. And you go as a fan, rabble, rabble, rabble. Because... Marc-Andre Fleury is extremely popular and he has a Hall of Fame resume and you would think that he would be given the benefit of the doubt starting against his whole team. It's a, it's a very nice show from an organization. I'm a little torn on it though because Fleury, who we all love to death, has an 886 save this season. He's giving up more than half a goal a game than Forsberg and his team's won 7 of 10. It's the NHL. There's a ton of parody. You know, you get in, anything can happen. I don't think the Wild, that's going to be their season. I, here, here's my position. I would for sure would have liked to have seen Flurry be in the net, get the moment from the crowd. These are two teams that neither of them is really, I think, going to go anywhere. He deserves that. He's a great teammate. He's a great locker room guy. It would have been a nice nod from the franchise. Right? Sure. But he has just, he's really not performed very well. And what do I keep saying is that this nostalgia stuff really does seem to be one of the most hurtful things to franchises right now. And it's a really difficult position because, you know, 
I'm not sure how we're going to see some stars in the future, how big they're ever going to be, or if we're ever going to have the same moment, because I don't think that people are going to watch in the same way this stuff. Like, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know what the ratings for future Stanley Cup playoffs are going to be, or if we're ever even going to have that many goaltenders that are just in the net year after year after year. Like I've said for years, you know, I'm I'm going back now a decade actually of me saying that goaltenders going to be the new NH, going to be the new running backs. So maybe we don't even have this, but yeah, the Wild ended up losing anyway, which makes it a little bit more difficult because you go, well. Great. Now you have PR and you also lost. You could have thrown them in. Maybe you would have won. Maybe your team would have played a little bit better. Maybe they would have really tried a bit differently for Marc-Andre Fleury, but who cares? Um, but yeah, it just, it flies a little bit in the face of the nostalgia thing that I've been talking about. I wish they would have given him a start, but yeah, he has been really performing poorly. Um, and he still did get a lot of media coverage when he was in Pittsburgh. Like there was jokes about him going into the dressing room and messing with Sid's gear and, and stuff. Uh, yeah. Latang's helmet. Yeah. There was like media there was beat writers that were writing about flurry and all the pleasurable experiences they've had with him. He looked great. But it, the, the main thing that got me thinking was, is there a player in sports right now that is more universally beloved than Mark Andre Fleury? Mm. Jason Kelsey. <laughs> yeah. Jason Kelsey's up there, but also he does play for the Eagles and no, people yeah, root yeah, against yeah, the yeah. Eagles and like, they hate them. Universal right? approval like if you're a Cowboy, No, no, for sure. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that there's a single fan of any base that hates Marc-Andre Fleury. Like even a Washington Capitals fan. Do you hate Marc-Andre Fleury? Yeah, probably not. And it's funny because on some of those cup runs, like it's not even like he was the one in net for some no. of those final games. No. So like... That's it. It's like, and it just think about how much people love Marc-Andre Fleury. It is unquestionable. I've never heard like someone, anyone be like, oh yeah, I don't like flour. I hate flour. <laughs> I hate Marc-Andre Fleury. You'd you know, be like, what? You was know always ticked me off? Yeah, at some points of his career earlier, right, there would have been the, the junior game where he tried to get the puck out. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Patrick O'Sullivan and they lose the States and people go, ah, uh, he was a choker for a long stretch of his career. For sure. Like, there's just no doubt about it. That was a big part of the Marc-Andre Fleury narrative. Such a weird legacy. Yeah, like, but then once he started getting cups and starting to get things done, he, uh, it, it did change. He became very popular. We got all these stories about him. He was great with the media. He was great with he his teammates. Funny. He's one of those guys. He, yeah. Every single one of his former teammates speaks about him glowingly. Whenever you get those little snippets of Pittsburgh Penguins in the mid two thousand or late 2000s, you see the flurry clips and they're always excellent. He's had success on other teams. He got. He was kind of the sympathetic figure that went to the Golden Knights when we didn't think the Golden Knights yeah. were going to be good. It was like, oh, Marc-Andre Fleury's going here because they have to sell tickets. But we feel really bad for him that he has to leave Pittsburgh. Boo-hoo, poor Marc-Andre Fleury. He's had the mask thing that happened recently uh-huh. where people were like very much on his side uh-huh. and, hey, screw the NHL, not letting him have it. I just, I don't think that there's another athlete that we all say, we love this guy. He is our guy the way that we do with Marc-Andre Fleury. And granted, it's on a smaller scale because it is the NHL. There's a lot of people in the States who go, I don't know who that is. I'm not aware of who Marc-Andre Fleury is, right? Like you're pulling from a big sample when you're talking about NFL football, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It was Shohei until he scored, until he did Toronto dirty. <laughs> but I don't think he was, I think he was respected and revered. No, no, not loved. loved. No, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I'm trying I've just, it's a great question. I've been racking my brain trying to think of yeah. anybody. Yeah. Anyone? I don't think See, I have anyone. Everybody's stumped. No good ones come to mind. My mind goes to NBA, but there's really no Shaq. one right now. Like that's current. I was thinking current. Like I know, but Shaq, Shaq was like that, where it just it was hard to hate Shaq, especially post Lakers Shaq, 
like when he was in Phoenix and he was doing the big Shactus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the big, uh, yeah. what was the Aristotle? Yeah, the big Aristotle, but what was the, the Celtics one? I can't remember. He had a big one there too, anyway. Did you, so, because you were a Celtics fan as a kid, did you say? No, my parents liked the Celtics. Right, okay. So, yeah, they went to, they were both basketball coaches. And, like, did Celtics fans hate Shaq when he was with the Lakers? I don't even know. I'm sure they did. I yeah. mean, I kind of hated Shaq when he was with the Lakers because they were so dominant, right? But in terms of personality wise, pretty much everybody loved Shaq. Big Shamrock, like, I think. Big he, Shamrock yeah, is correct. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Kazam. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Shaq, but that's the thing. Shaq was Shaq too dominant. Food. Once you're that dominant, Pete, you become polarizing, mm-hmm. right? Like there was games where people went, this is unfair. This is unfair with Shaq. And there was other stuff like, you know, after he won in Miami, did the Kobe Hell My Ass taste, Lakers fans would have hated him for that, right? <laughs> Lakers fans would have hated him for leaving, that. right? So it's just, it's there, there's stuff with Shaq. But right now, it's like, Shaq is the most universally popular, one of the most universally popular figures on the planet. I like, mean, he's also the face for about 30 products. I this, I was the gonna, general. This is, this is really dark. This, this is really, really dark. I hate even saying this. But I genuinely think like I'm going to be in like true mourning when Shaq dies. Mm. Like I think that's going to be the hardest celebrity like death. Because you see sometimes the people when they see celebrity deaths, they're like, this meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right, this isn't about you, but yeah, fine. Right? It's like Regis was. You're like, all right. <laughs> But Shaq for me is genuinely going to be like the hardest one. I think that'll be the hardest celebrity death that I'll, I'll ever feel. I can't imagine feeling worse than that one. Like it's just going to be like, I, ugh, I don't want to be outside for, I'll, I'll be sad, man. I'll be so sad. Anyway, Shaq, I love him to death, but I don't think there's anybody like Flurry. Yeah. Like you said, go through it. Go through the leagues. Like go find me the player that everybody just loves. And you got to think, you got to be a vet. You have to be around for a while. I should have given you guys this question for like it's. Well, I've been trying to think the whole time. I can't. The guys I'm thinking of, they're not like stars, you know, like Boban Marjanovic. Sure, everyone loves yeah. him. He's super loved. No yeah. one like has ever said anything bad about Boban, but like he doesn't step on the court. So. Yeah, but I, I, yeah. So, but I think that one actually counts. I think that's a good. That's answer. a really good. That's a really good answer. That's a good answer. Everyone does. Good love job Boban. by you. Armin. Everybody does love Boban. Yeah. And maybe that's what he, it is. Like yeah. maybe you have to be a step. Maybe you can't no, you be a superstar. You have no, to be a step below. You can't right? be a superstar because if you're a superstar, that means you've killed some teams and they hate you. And the 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 gap between Mark Andre Fleury was a superstar, and now he had to hang around the league long enough yeah. for it to happen, right? And again, multiple sympathetic figure moments where. Remember when his agent posted him losing the starting job, and oh, yeah. he posted the sword going through his back. Yeah, really weird. It's called the nice sword. <laughs> Like, Reminds me a bit of Vince Carter too on the tail really end of his weird. career. No, because then he's not bothering anyone. Nope, Everyone liked sorry. him as the vet. Yeah, no, sorry. he had just not. he had just killed a market too much. <laughs> no, uh, Vince Carter, yeah, murdered basketball yeah. in this country for over a decade. Um, I went yes, over it like, he, yeah, no. Charles Barkley, people felt sorry for Charles Barkley. No, bro, no, Come people on. hated. Char- Are you kidding? No, no, no this is a... when he got to Phoenix, people started to feel a little. No, 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 no. This is a, that's a, a horrific answer. I can't answer. speak on that's when a, Charles was no, playing. No, that's a horrific <laughs> answer. Charles, Charles Barkley was like it, Charles Barkley <laughs> spat on a fan once. Charles Barkley was like, "I'm not a role model." Like that's arguably the worst people answer I've heard on the show. Title. No, people wanted him to get a title back when he went with Phoenix. They did. Uh, that, that's not what we're and doing here. I was a Jordan here. fan at the time. We're not, but, yeah. but this isn't like. Yeah, but I think who, that he was. People were sympathetic towards him. But this isn't like who did people want to win a title at some point? We wanted Ovechkin to win a title. That's fair. When he got to it, this is who are the most universally beloved athletes of their time, and of the current time. By the way, this was this wasn't in 1993. This is now. This is now. But anyways, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's no. Barkley was genuinely hated. You should go read some of Barkley's old books. 
uh, or his, I don't know if he wrote multiple, but his first book. No, no, no. Barkley was a deeply, deeply, deeply polarizing player. Um, I'm trying to think about uh, right now in the NBA. I think Boban is probably the best answer that there is. Steph Curry. Some people hate Steph. Yeah. That's too close, good. But He's yeah. too good. He's, that's oh, what I'm that's saying. Problem, it's a, yeah. it's a, it, I was, you know who I thought was actually like kind of more so than Steph in terms of universal popularity was Clay. But that has the worm has yeah, turned on the that. recent. He, that would have been a good answer yeah. Clay, a season ago. Clay was very much like everybody liked Clay. Man, he's kayaking the game, and he was and just below that tier of great player. That, that where, would have been a good one. You know, people went. You know, he's been around long enough. We've seen a lot of him. We really like him. Don't really feel any kind of ways about him. And now he can't stop putting four fingers up. So yeah. that's kind of changed. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, yeah, actually, the what, was it the. It was the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies just changed everything with them. The Grizzlies came in and they were just this young upstart team and they were trying to play them tough and they weren't showing them any respect. And then it just broke the Warriors. Like they were like, how dare you not just revere us completely? Uh, so yeah, that's, I, I, like I said, if anybody thinks about one, tweet me at JD Bunkus. But yeah, I don't think that there's anybody more than Marc-Andre Fleury right now. I do like the Bobown answer. The Bobown's a good one. Well, especially since he was in, he was in uh, John Wick. Yeah. There's like a cool scene. So it's like a lot of people know him from that. He got like a couple like commercial deals yeah, just by being a guy that, that we all likes. love every image of his hands. Yeah. Him and his wife. He Good does, stuff. but he also does have personality. Like he had the Tobias Harris yeah, thing. Remember when Toby and Bobby, they were friends. Like he's been around different teams where we've like really liked them. And he, whenever he does show a little personality, it's like, he's a guy that totally gets it. One of those guys that when he checks into a game, yeah. like standing out throughout but, the but stadium. But you're right. He's almost to the point where it's like too irrelevant as a player. Yeah. But I would say fringy because there have been moments like there was a Dallas team where Bobown got some minutes. Got some, and, got some burn. Yeah. 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 He's like... Yeah, he's, I think he's he's on the list. I think he's very much there. I'm trying to think about who the football player version of that is right now. Yeah, I don't. I'd say the version of you? Boban in the yeah. NBA that actually plays more as impactful would be Stephen Adams. He's also loved. Yep. yep. Not a bad one. Not he's bad hilarious. One. Yep. Stephen Adams is a good answer. Good Kiwi sense of humor. Yeah. Love the yep. Kiwis. Stephen Adams, good answer. Good answer. Good answer. Good answer. We're family yeah. feud. Good trying answer. To, I'm trying to think about good answer. Uh, football, like, but it's like, yeah, Minshew. Yeah. Josh Dobbs for a minute, he was loved. Yeah, but Josh now Dobbs, it's just yeah. it's gone. Because he's just, yeah, it's too it was too fast and it was too much of a flash. And now I actually think Vikings fans hate him because they got their <laughs> hopes up and then he was terrible. He threw like five turnovers in a game and then scored zero points against the Raiders, had to be pulled for Nick Mullins. But I do think Josh Allen did have or sorry, Josh Dobbs, but he didn't have the, the shelf life, right? Like that was a flash yeah, in the pan. Yeah, yeah. Like he was only there for a hot second. He was there for a minute. Joe Burrow had that thing where everybody thought he was really cool. Yeah, no, but f- fans in other divisions, he's too good. Yeah, People for hate sure. Him. People for hate sure. Him. Yeah, I, I also wonder what the opposite answer of this is. Who's like the most universally hated, think, and yeah. even by their own fan base? I do think that it, the the correct the the correct answer though is if we're, if we're doing this is like it is. Yeah, I think it is Kelsey, or you know who the other one might be. You know who we all root for. I think. <laughs> huh. I think. I think we all really, really like Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. No? I just, he was in my division for a long time and burned me a bunch. So I always. Oh, no. It's okay. Down to Christian McCaffrey. I was going to say, who hates Christian McCaffrey? He's like, he's sick, but yeah, I just, he burned. He burned the same yeah, too, too much. Too good? Yeah. He hits the, he hits the too good yeah, uh, quotient. I think that might be right. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about this one? 
DeAndre Hopkins. I like Nuke. He seems cool. He's got the like mom angle where he's like such a good son. She never sees him play. He always brings the football. No, but he was, he got into it with the cards. I'm just trying to, yeah. You know who everybody really liked for a long time, but he's gone now is, I was thinking about, uh, is Teddy Bridgewater. Everybody oh, kind of rooted for Teddy. Teddy Two Gloves. Everybody kind of rooted for Teddy Two Gloves for a while. He was really like, well, but again, these, these guys, they all pale in comparison to the Love approval Teddy. rating. Like, I just think that the difference here with Flurry as I'm talking myself through it, is that it's like Fleury was one of the guys that it's, it's, it's like every hockey fan has an opinion on him where they're like, I love him, right? Uh-huh. Versus like the Teddy Two Gloves of the world. I don't think there's people that hated him, but I no think there's like, some I people lo- yeah. was like, oh, I love him. You know, yeah. like I don't think that he was loved in that way. And I, I think the same thing with Hopkins. Is there some guys that are like, eh, whatever. This and guy same thing with Christian McCaffrey. Like he's not loved. He's just, I think he's no. respected and revered and people want him to stay healthy and they like him and he wins a lot of people fantasy championships. I don't know. He just seems kind of funny. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in on, I'm in on those list of guys that are likable. And, but I think, yeah, Kelsey's the number one. This guy isn't loved, but most people at least like think he's pretty funny is Jameis. I love Jameis. Yeah. See, and I also love Jameis. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know a couple of my buddies who like have no rooting interest in anything Jameis yeah. has ever done. Even at my Bucks fans, buddies love Jameis. Cause yeah, he was, so like Jameis, I think Jameis has got at least a, a partial case. The only thing against Jameis is that he it's was Florida a State rabble stuff. rouser <laughs> at Florida State. I don't think he really actually did anything wrong. Like he's a like remember he stole crab legs. Yeah. Like who cares? He was the starting quarterback at, Fre- yeah. at Florida State, yeah, but, and he uh, figured that he could get away with whatever dude, he wanted. Yeah, here, here's, here's what I would say about anybody who had real criticisms of Jameis: is go watch the Hard Knocks where he shows where he was raised. You go watch the Hard Knocks and see where Jameis Winston was raised and the like perspective he has and the attitude he has and tell me if you're like, wow, he yelled something stupid in a cafeteria once when he was 20 and he stole crab legs from a grocery store once. It's like, nah, probably chill out on those takes. Jameis is the man. I love Jameis. Yeah. I'm a huge Jameis guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like all in on Jameis. <laughs> Yeah, the thing is, is that he was never good as an NFL player. No, like he just really is, like he's just he didn't have any success. But I don't think that there's too many people that hate Jameis. The only people that would, it, it goes back to like, but this is what I'm saying about the sample size thing, is people who hated Florida State yes. would still hate Jameis. Correct. But that's not fair. Whereas like with Marc Andre Fleury, nobody I can't I can't even remember where he played junior. Yeah. Uh nobody hates him from that. And going back to the World Juniors, I don't think any Canadian still holds that against them. Anyways, all right, let's move on. What did we miss? Kate Breton? I don't know. That is right, I guess. Okay. Kate Breton. Nice. Anyway, what did we miss? No um, the DJ Smith era in Ottawa oh, yeah. is over. Uh, he was fired. He's replaced by Jacques Martin on an interim basis. Uh, I mean, I think long time coming for the DJ era to probably end in Ottawa. Eh? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's just kind of funny because when... DJ, when they first hired Jacques Martin, I had Bobby Ryan on the show. And I went, wouldn't he be looking over his shoulder? He's like, no. They're trying to stabilize things. It's great to have Jacques there. And then the very first game against the Leafs, it was like Jacques was coming down from yeah. <laughs> the, the, the box <laughs> to deliver messages in between periods. Uh, I just don't think that you can ever... It's, it's the old saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, but truly mm-hmm. it's like, if you have two head coaches, you have none, right? Yeah. Like you can't have two head coaches. I mean, if they ever hired someone who was way more experienced in my job, like, you know, uh-huh. as well, I'd be like, Oh, that's probably not an awesome sign. Uh, anyway, it'll be Martin's first. Oh, uh, I just got a great answer from this guy oh, nice. from Jamaro. 
Uh, he said Andre Johnson, and I completely agree. Oh, nice. Everybody loved Andre Johnson. This Andre Andre Johnson is actually the perfect, like he is the Mark Andre Fleury of the NFL. It's like everybody loved Andre Johnson. Even remember he beat up uh, Cortland Finnegan. Yeah. And everyone hated Cortland Finnegan. Oh, that's a horrible answer. Eric tweeted in, who doesn't like Tim Tebow? It's like tons oh, of people. Oh, man, yeah, yeah including like, me. Yeah, I, was gonna, yeah, I was like, that's the worst <laughs> answer. Like, uh, that, bad answer. You and Nick should start your own podcast of bad, called Bad Answers. Andre uh, Johnson is also a good answer because football is like, he never was on a good team. Yeah, so that's it's not it. like, the, it's that's not like team so he fan bases. Yeah. He was on Texas. Yeah, <laughs> fan like, bases are never Houston. like, oh, man, Andre. Like, it's like, whatever. Yeah. He went for 170 yeah, yards and two no, touchdowns, but they yeah. lost no, 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 by no, no, 20 no. still. That's, that's totally correct. And he, he beat up a villain. So it's like, yeah, he ruled. Andre yeah. Johnson absolutely ruled. What about similarly, what about Calvin Johnson? I loved Calvin Pretty Johnson. Yeah. And he was incredible. And it's not like Detroit ever did anything. He yeah. was awesome. He was the best, coolest receiver for so long. He was faster and bigger than everybody. You mull that over. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Here's here's the reason why. Two, it goes into the too great category. Mm. Is that because Calvin Johnson was so great, there were conversations about like, is he actually better in his prime than Randy Moss? Oh, and, and is then... he better in his prime than Jerry Rice? And it's like that pisses people off in other fan bases, and so they root against that guy's greatness. Gotcha. Like, yeah, you're probably right. I, I just I, I think that happens when you reach that tier. Like you can't like Again, think about when we're saying Sidney Crosby. Now Sidney Crosby is loved, like loved, loved, loved. But still some Cavs fans hate Sid, right? Some oh, people sure. will still always see Sid as a whiner. He's, you know, he's won. He's been too great. He's polarizing because he's been at the very top of the mountain. Marc-Andre Fleury can make some cases where he's one of the best goalies in the NHL for a while. And that the personality shines through, but like there's no blemishes in terms of being a bad guy. Like it's the same thing. Like I really like the Andre Johnson answer and... No, and this this answer is horrible too. Messi, like that's it's like we, we, <laughs> every we, Ronaldo give me the greatest fan. soccer player yeah. ever. It's like yeah, every Joey single Ronaldo fan. Yeah, Messi. Yeah, like, literally. like yeah, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's literally a dividing line between people. Is are you Messi or Ronaldo? Was like the only thing I knew about soccer for yeah. a decade. And like, if you're a Ronaldo fan, yeah. half of your job is pumping yeah. up Ronaldo, and the yeah. other half is trying to dump on Messi. Yeah, that's, that's all you do oh with all God. 24 hours of your day. Okay, yeah. guys, I got one full disclosure. I did not watch this guy when he played, but okay. now he seems very lovable. Probably too good. Ken Griffey Jr. Thoughts? Oh, Honestly, I think that great that, one. Here's here's what I'll say about Ken Griffey Jr. I think he's the greatest. That is the most universal. Great loved. one. Yep. Every single person thinks yeah. he's the coolest. He's, he's the <laughs> exception. He's the exception that makes the rule. He's the coolest baseball yeah. player ever. He's the exception that makes the rule with greatness because there's nobody like it. it I would genuinely, if I met someone who was like, I hate I'd be offended. Jr., yeah, I, I think I would too. I think I would be like, what are you even talking about? Let's <laughs> just see. Hey, can you come over here for a second? Griffey you know, can we was talk the man. The who sent that in? Was that you? That was just me. Wow. He, you are on fire yeah, you today. Are. You're doing good. You're doing good. This is really good. Let's but go. yes, no, Ken Griffey Jr. is the exception that makes the rule with the, the greatness argument is every single person loves Jr. But the no winning mm. does help. Also helps. It's like... Even then, I find it hard to like, believe that if he won a world, like, that yeah, people but, would have hated no, him. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. I'm just saying that we never did no, no, have sure. that moment yeah, of, Never like, had to get there. I wonder if Yankees fans hate Junior a little bit, though, because of the, I'm never going to play for you, and he basically was like, you guys are racist. I was a Yankees fan as a kid. I thought Hank yeah. Junior was the coolest person in the world. Yeah. 
I love Ken Griffey. Jr. He's the coolest. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> what kid our age didn't wear yeah, a backwards yeah, hat all yeah, the time I, because I of Ken like, Griffey? Yeah, Dude, there's there's like these there's like expensive Ken Griffey Jr. merch that sometimes I just go and look at and I'm like today is the day where I buy this expensive ass Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> t-shirt like a t-shirt for $95 plus shipping and handling I'm like kind of have to pull the trigger on this one. Yeah, like I never got to watch him but I bought his shoes. Oh, the coolest. Yeah, no, Ken Griffey that's a great answer. That's a really the Ken Griffey Jr. Mm, I love Jeter. Too many people hate the Yankees though. Here's here's how much I know that he is so popular. It's like he broke the record right for hall of fame votes like he was the first guy that went in with like only one guy didn't Griffey? vote for him for uh, to be a first ballot hall of famer and that one guy probably is in moon jail somewhere That's like the guy regretting who was his like decision. well if so and so imagine being in. that guy like imagine being that person it's like like 99.9 percent of the votes for griffey to go in first ballot and this guy's like i'm gonna spoil it I hate him. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> See, that guy sucks. Uh, okay, anyway, uh, yeah, back to the sense thing. Um, you don't want to have two bosses. It, DJ Smith had had a really, really tough tenure uh, with the team. They were disappointing again this year. It was just like it's the writing was on the wall. The crazy thing is that four coaches have been fired already in the NHL, and that yeah. if it's actually five if you count Mike Babcock, which you kind of shouldn't because he basically only got in to see a cell phone or two, and then they were like, goodbye. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, a lot of fired coaches. A bunch of – Sheldon Keefe is now the longest-tenured Canadian head coach, by the way. Like, uh, not a Canadian nationality, but coach of a Canadian yeah, team. Yeah. I just think it kind of had to happen. I remember reading uh, Ian Mendez's piece on the starts. That, All the bad starts, yeah. right? He was on the on your, the show yeah. talking when, about when that. When I read that, I went, how have they excused this? I got that they were trying to keep some stability and they didn't want to rock the boat with the players, but this seemed like an easy one to make. You're bringing in Jacques Martin. He's around the team for an entire year, and then you go find your new coach and your new GM. You know, your next GM hires the new coach, yeah. and Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson probably helped steward that. You hope those guys impact the current senators group and say the senators way kind of thing. You get a bit of a, the dead coach bounce and you refocus on next year, which becomes, yeah, kind of pressure packed for that team that has some expectations. Uh, what's next? Uh, Western Kentucky won the famous toastery bowl, 38, 35 overall dominion. I mean, who really cares about mm. the toastery bowl other than, you know how the bowl games give out the weird like trophies and stuff. They just flooded the field with a bunch of toast. A bunch of players had just toast everywhere. Hmm. Players were doing toast angels. Pair this with the fact, <laughs> which is great. Pair yeah. this with the fact that there's toast. a Pop-Tarts Bowl coming up yeah. uh, in a couple weeks as well. Uh-huh. where and It'll have the first ever edible mascot, a okay. giant Pop-Tart that you can eat. Got Gross. me thinking. Yeah, I know. Got me thinking... What's the most overrated and underrated breakfast foods? Most overrated by far is French toast. French toast is disgusting. If someone eats French toast, I'm like, oh, you'll eat anything. I hate that taste. You'll put anything in your mouth. (laughs) I love French toast. Ugh. Yeah. Even looking at it, it's just like cool. You like soggy bread. All I think of is the, this is a deep cut, but this, the movie Road Trip. No? This I mean, a, I know the movie Road Trip. Yeah, remember he asked for the French toast? Oh, and he's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I asked for without, not frosting, without powdered yeah. sugar. The guy's like, oh, no problem. <laughs> he just throws it down his pants, <laughs> feeds it to him. And he says, mm, it's good, as he's eating it. But yeah, the texture of French toast, the look of French toast. Uh, there's nothing worse to me when someone's like, oh, French toast. And you're like, oh, God, I don't want that at all. It's terrible. It's just a, it, uh, French toast and pancakes are very similar, actually, where it's like, I actually like one good pancake. I think flapjacks are terrible. Like when you get like a pile of pancakes, sure. people who go and are like, I'll eat as many pancakes as I can. I'm like, I don't get that. But I like one, a side pancake at a breakfast is an elite move. Like if you get one side blueberry pancake or one side chocolate chip pancake, 
after you're, when you're eating like a big hangover breakfast, that that slaps. Have I ever told you my go-to brunch? Like, let's say you're out for brunch mm-hmm. with a bunch of buddies or whatever. Have I ever told you my go-to move? Because no. no one wants to order pancakes as their main thing. But yeah. if you get like an order of pancakes for the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nice move. You look that's like a, a hero. That's, that's what I'm saying. If you do that, but I, I don't, yeah. It, it's like, how many do you? But see with that, it's like how much butter and syrup. And yeah, it's but like... what everybody's just getting like a bite of a pancake in the end. Yeah, but I'd rather just do the individual pancake. I'd sure. rather just, I'd rather not do that. I'm just saying you look like a yeah. hero in front of all your buddies. I know too. you look like that, but yeah. in practicality now that, you know, you're older and like, that's a good move in college when everyone's broke and you're like, guys, I got us pancakes. Are you saying I should retire it? I think that you should get your own side pancake mm-hmm. and then offer and tell everybody like you should get a side pancake too or like uh, if you get the side pancake i'll get this side pancake <laughs> yeah yeah over over the the stack of flapjacks for the table that everyone gets the mushy bite of <laughs> i don't yeah. want people reaching in with their yeah, runny yeah. egg that's forks. a call it's, hey <laughs> yeah but you're not like just stabbing stabbing the pancakes. Pancakes. <laughs> two things can be true simon that was a sick move in college you inventing that is a legendary move but Thanks. now that we're adults if i was at breakfast and you ordered a side of flapjacks and you're like what's this i'd be like no i got my own side pancake i'm <laughs> i'm worried about myself all right i got my brunch order down i got my breakfast order down. i think breakfast is the best like i love all this is the thing is i'm having a tough time coming up with what's uh, underrated because it's like I feel like everything is properly rated. Like all, basically every single way you can make an egg. Oh, I'm not a big Eggs Benedict fan. I think that Hollandaise. <sighs> I was really? going to say that was underrated. Now that we know, now that we know how the sausage is made with Hollandaise sauce, where it's just like, and if you get even like a touch too much Hollandaise sauce, it's like the most disgusting thing ever. I like, love a Benny, but like a breakfast sausage, breakfast like uh, like a, I like a waffle. What's your preferred side meat? Sausage, sausage, bacon, yeah, me no, too. No, uh, bacon, bacon. I go sausage. No, bacon, bacon, bacon. No, it's, not at- sausage. it's bacon. It's bacon. Bacon, bacon is undefeated. Bacon yeah, bacon's oh, undefeated. It depends, too, if it's like a diner when I know the bacon's going to be yeah, slapping. Yeah. Then I'm yeah, getting the yeah. bacon. Nick? You know? I'm just, I'm just surprised that you guys haven't mentioned raisins yet. Raisins? raisins? As a Come breakfast on. food? Raisins. Brother, so I'm being completely honest. Don't I don't want raisins. Never heard of it. Never even heard of it as a breakfast food. being honest about it. Raisins. Wow. I think you're tro- you got to be trolling. Totally trolling. Totally. Oh, <laughs> totally trolling. It's like, are you awake back there? Dude, I thought you were serious. Raisins. No, just trolling, just trolling. I, I actually, raisins. but I will say, I love raisin bran. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's, there's like no cereals I, I hate. <laughs> like, pretty much every cereal is good. Yeah. No, you won't like the sugary ones, like Fruit Loops. Yeah, I love them. Really? What are you talking about? Are you kidding? Oh, Fru- yeah? I don't love Fruit Loops, buddy. I would, <laughs> I would walk over your corpse for a bowl of Fruit Loops. <laughs> I, would, I would not even hesitate. I love Fruit Loops. Again, you can't find a cereal that I wouldn't be like, yes, that's awesome. Like the, all cereal is good is actually my take. All cereal is Which- a wrong take. You cannot go into a cereal because even liking about- milk is the hotter take. No, dude, you go into a cereal aisle and you see like the grainiest, the granoliest of granola. Oh, it's going be awesome. so good. Honey. So good. Yeah, so yeah, a couple good. nuts in there. Right? Yeah. Cheerios. Actually, so that's the least that's the least good. Plain Cheerios. Plain Cheerios and plain shreddies are not ideal. Yeah, shredded wheat. But yeah. I don't count shredded wheat as mini wheats. Mini wheats poppin'. bomb. Yeah, bomb. So light bomb. cereal, pop. Yeah, like I don't eat in the mornings anymore. Um, I, I'm like an intermittent fasting guy. I don't eat until usually like one to two o'clock. Uh, cereal is just kind of out for me too. It's just like, it's not usually that healthy for you. There's not, there's not a lot of cereal. I, I do some of the like uh, protein uh, granola. No, Vector was <laughs> awesome though too. It's like, that's what I'm saying. It's impossible to screw up cereal. If you made a bad cereal, like, yeah, we, we have no room for you on earth.
Alphabets pop out. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there's, I'm telling you, there's <laughs> not a cereal you can name that I think sucks. Every cereal is good. Both the th- both French toast is trash. Pancakes are overrated. What about French toast crunch? Awful. Actually, that's a bad no, one. No, it's yeah. so you know what? good. I was wrong. You're crazy. <laughs> French toast crunch is bad. French toast crunch is amazing. Because it tastes like French toast. It's the better of no. the crunch of the toast I will crunches. say this. French toast crunch over French toast a billion times out of a billion. <laughs> and the best cereal, by the way, is Reese Puffs. There's no debate. It's just Reese Puffs. You're getting the best chocolate bar, but in a actually passable other form, right? And it, then you get to drink that milk. Mm, delicious. Uh, delicious, delicious stuff. All right. Uh, we, have, we have to do Armin's great shame because today is a shameful day for everybody. Like Nick's Eagles lost again, 2008. Uh, eight straight games they've lost to my Seahawks. Armin's team, the Lakers, hung the banner. And at first I was like, yeah, whatever. It's no big deal. It was so embarrassing. Was I watched weird. it. It was, in. It was it pretty weird. Silver See, made the call to Genie Buzz to do 100%, 100%, it. Like, 100%. So, but no, it's still weird. It's so big. bad. It's no, like half the no, size of the championship. It's so bad. Weird. It's so bad. It's so bad. My whole take was Toronto can't say anything because we raised a Bon Jovi banner once. Like most concerts ever at, <laughs> at the arena. And I went, oh, my God. Because we were really hoping that he was going to bring the bills here. And we were just doing everything to kiss Bon Jovi's ass. But that banner is like, I said when the in-season tournament started, there were some teams that it wasn't going to be cool, and then LeBron kind of did make it cool and he deserved credit, and now I'm like, actually, this sucks. The Lakers won because now that thing is hanging up there. It's like easy fodder for every other fan base. It's just like a corny, it's gross. They got to take it down. They got to take it. The Lakers are too good. They're too prestigious a franchise. That works if you're the Atlanta Hawks, you know? That works. No, I think the opposite, guys. I think if you don't have the championship banners, that's when you look dumb. And you look up there, and that's all you see is the in-season tournament. This banner that they hung up, it's shaped differently. It's half the size of the championship banner. It was 20 minutes before tip-off. They barely turned off the lights. Bro, did you pitch the idea? This is awesome. I love how vehemently pro in-season tournament. Put it in the banner you are. I love it. (laughs) It's really bad. I right, love we it. Got time. Mm, we got time for one more. Really quick. Okay, so RG3 raced a hawk, oh, uh, yeah. and he won. It's the second time he's raced a hawk. We got to do this quick because I'm off for holidays after this, and I need to know what's the fastest animal that you're 100% sure you could beat in a race. Oh, boy. I can't see any of you guys being fast. Sorry. I am so slow. It is <laughs> remarkable. Uh, first of all, I, I'm still faster now than you in boots. Incorrect. And... Yeah, like, you have the weirdest confidence out of any little short guy I've ever met. An athletic short guy that I've ever met in my entire life who's clearly, like, never played a sport at any kind of high level. The, the, the confidence Rep that... basketball, that, thank you. Yeah, where? Scarborough like, Blues? Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Shout out anyway, Trey Bell Hayes. Yeah, yeah. What, what, you got the water for the guys who are like, I'm on the team, mom. I got to... Yeah, it's like, yeah. Anyways, uh, I, I, I got to think about this. I got to come back with a better answer some other day. But, like, because I was thinking, like, a pig would destroy me, you know? Like... Like a like a normal pig though, like a, a hog farm pig, I would beat. There you go. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. We'll see you tomorrow.